Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Last weekend, we spoke with Alexander Sherba, the uh, Ukrainian ambassador to, uh, to Austria previously. And we talked about the, the vicious assaults by Russia on Ukraine that were taking place. We didn't know that in the next few days, the assaults would just get worse. And the missile assaults have been uh, absolutely brutal. They've used hypersonic missiles the Russians have. And civilian population in Ukraine is uh, suffering dramatically. So, so what now? And um, Ambassador Sherba said Ukraine really needs Western battle tanks. It's been promised, and uh, he says they will immediately change the dynamic on the ground. But the question is, will the tanks do that? Some military experts argue the tank is done. The time of the tank has gone. I don't think our guest is going to say that. And I do believe he'll suggest to us that heavy armor from the West will influence the dynamic of the war in Russia. How much will it cost? Is it sustainable? Will the Russians resort to using doomsday weapons? We've talked about that as well. My guest is Colonel Peter Mansour, professor of military history at Ohio State University. He commanded the 1st Brigade of the 1st Armored Division of the U.S. Army, including 13 months of combat in Iraq. Uh, Colonel Mansour was the executive officer to General David Petraeus in Iraq during the surge. He's the author of the book, Surge. And... uh, Heavy armor has a major role to play in wars now and in the future. Is what I expect Colonel Mansour to, to tell us. If you go to at the Roy Green Show, my Twitter feed, you'll see the link to Colonel Mansour's most recent book, The Culture of Military Organizations. Colonel Mansour, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. It is great to be back on, Roy. Well, what's your view of Russia's brutal attacks on Ukraine's civilian population and the national infrastructure, particularly in the past few days? Yeah, what we're seeing is essentially a strategic bombing campaign targeting Ukraine, the Ukrainian electrical grid. Uh, this is not unlike um, the U.S. and British assaults against the German oil facilities in World War II. Um, the, the Russians have just chosen a different node of the economy to attack. Um, they, the Russians think that it will wear away the Ukrainian will to fight. Um, but they have been mistaken. And um, what we saw in World War II is it takes a very great deal of destruction indeed to force uh, a nation to surrender in World War II. Germany only surrendered after it was overrun by ground forces, and Japan only surrendered after a firebombing campaign and then two atomic bombs. So, uh, Colonel Mansour, does the Ukrainian military success on the battlefield so far speak to uh, a combination of Russian incompetence meeting a well-trained and very motivated opponent? Uh, that's that's precisely it. You know, I was really astonished that so many so-called experts uh, predicted Ukraine would uh, collapse in a matter of days when uh, Russia invaded. Now, I, I didn't expect the Russian army to be quite as incompetent to the, as it is proven to be. Uh, but I knew the Ukrainians would fight. Um, they're in it uh, for their sovereignty and their freedom. Uh, they've made great strides since 2014 when they were initially invaded by little green men uh, from the east. And um, and the population is, uh, you know, into supporting the government on this. And, and that uh, goes a long way towards uh, military effectiveness. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, during one of my conversations, I think it was with uh, Ambassador Sherba, 
could have been a member of parliament from Ukraine, but it was a Ukrainian guest who said they'd been speaking with a senior commander of the Ukrainian military. And this senior commander had been so incensed at the tactics employed by the Russians that he said, when we get to the Russian border, we just may not stop. (laughs) Well, I I think they would lose the support of the West in that case. So I think that's hyperbole. Um, But what we're seeing is the Russians uh, have burned through their stock of armored vehicles. They're, They're using convicts now in sort of mass wave human assaults in the south and uh, they're getting killed in large numbers um you know i you mentioned the tanks armored vehicles uh, have a role to play in modern warfare and if if you don't have them on the battlefield then the battle is reverted to french warfare uh, of world war one yeah and uh, i think that's what we're seeing there in in the south right now right let me ask you about this because ukraine's call for tanks and i think they're about to receive maybe close to 200, a combination of German Leopard battle tanks, the British Challenger, and the U.S. Abrams in the M1A2 configuration. These, uh, I I read a piece by a military expert a couple of days ago who said tanks today are like the battleships of 100 years ago. And I thought, I don't think so. I think tanks today have a significant role to play uh, given their vulnerability, though, and the Russian tanks have proven to be vulnerable to shoulder-fired uh, 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 rockets, RPGs, by by Ukrainian soldiers, the, the tank has a role to play, but it needs more more support now, does it not? Um, exactly. So the battleship analogy is wrong because the battleships were actually replaced by um, naval uh, air power, by aircraft carriers carrying planes that could reach out and uh, and destroy battleships from a distance. But nothing has yet replaced the tank. The tank is just mobile, armored, protected firepower. And again, if you don't have it, you revert to infantry wearing uniforms and helmets, getting killed in large numbers to artillery and machine gun fire. Mm-hmm. That's why tanks were developed in the first place. The tanks are only obsolete if you don't protect them. And so when you do protect them with air defense, counter drone activities, combined arms uh, uh, formations that have infantry and engineers and uh, other arms that protect the tanks, then the tank is still dominant on the battlefield. We saw that in the first Gulf War. We saw it in the invasion of Iraq. And we will see it again in Ukraine once the armored vehicles that the West has promised Ukraine get integrated into their army. So you can see um, upwards of 150 to maybe 200 tanks making that significant a difference or a change in the battles and in the fights between the Russians and the Ukrainians. The Western tanks will have the ability to create real problems, additional problems for the Russians. Uh, Colonel Mansour, how did you... Sorry, Let me just say... They will, but 200 is not enough. Yeah. 200 is the, um, the number of tanks we have in a single division in the U.S. Army. Um, you know, they, they're going to need probably a thousand tanks uh, to really make a, uh, a combined arms force that can take back the territory that Russia has illegally seized. What's your sense? Will they get that? Not initially, um, but we'll see how these first 200 work out. And if... Uh, if they work out well, then I think uh, more might be in the cards. But the problem is the West isn't producing the tanks fast enough. We've Our defense industries have atrophied since the end of the Cold War. So I'm not sure that we have, it, have them in our stockpiles to give up. 
That's another question that's been raised. Uh, just how depleted are Western countries' arsenals becoming? Yeah, it's a real problem, especially uh, artillery shells, which uh, Ukrainian forces are burning through at a rapid rate. Um, the United States now is debating whether to uh, uh, re-energize these uh, supply lines, these industry manufacturing lines, and um, and ramp up production of, of artillery shells, tanks, other armored vehicles, drones. Um, I think you're going to see attention put on uh, defense industry going forward, uh, just for our own national security reasons, if nothing else. Because what we've seen in, in the Ukraine war is that these wars aren't necessarily short. And, and if they extend over months and years, you're going to need a lot of weapons and equipment to win them. Mm -hmm. uh, you led U.S. armor in Iraq for 13 months. How are your tanks and your heavy armor most effective? Um, we had M1A1 uh, heavy metal tanks, that is, uh, they had depleted uranium armor, uh, and they were quite effective against um, the threat that we faced, but it was no, nowhere near as sophisticated as what the Ukrainians are facing. Uh, but they were effective against RPGs, um, roadside bombs. Uh, they might tear off a track or whatnot, but only the uh, Iranian-supplied explosive form penetrators could actually penetrate an Abrams tank. Um, and they were lethal to us. Uh, so we basically learned the same thing, that tanks have to be protected. You have to have infantry with them working together, um, and you have to have, of course, air cover overhead. Is it your sense, and we have to take a break in a moment, uh, Colonel Mansour, but is it your sense that the Ukrainian military, if it gets the equipment that it requires, uh, whether it's staged, you know, you get 50 here, 100 there, whatever the numbers may be, uh, that they can, in fact put a stop to the Russian invasion and push the Russians back to their border? Yeah, I believe they can. Uh, I, their leadership has proven uh, much more competent and flexible. Uh, they're being trained now at uh, NATO training centers in Germany and elsewhere and Poland uh, in combined arms tactics. Uh, it'll take some months to integrate the equipment. Uh, one of the um, challenges they might have is the number of spare parts with all these different types of uh, tanks and armored vehicles uh, coming into the force. But uh, I think Ukraine will develop a very, very effective offensive striking force in the months to come. It's incredible when we think about this and we talk about these situations that are developing uh, right as we speak, uh, certainly thousands of miles away, but they are developing. A year and a half ago, we never would have thought this. And here we are in the middle of it, or Ukraine is in the middle of it, with the Russians inv having invaded their country. But the whole world is involved now. Gentlemen, so let me just, before we talk about um, how things may change on the battlefield in Ukraine, ask you about the culture of military organizations, because it reads in part, culture has an enormous influence on military organizations and their success or failure in war. How has that played itself out in, on both the Russian and on the Ukrainian sides? Well, you can see this um, most uh, starkly on the Russian side. Uh, the Russian military has been hollowed out by corruption, um, and they're a far cry from what the Red Army was in World War II. Um, they've, their culture has developed in such a way that a competence uh, on the battlefield is really not the, uh, the primary motivation for its officer corps. And as a result, they can't fight. Uh, and we've seen this very clearly in the past year. 
Uh, on the Ukrainian side, what we see, what we're seeing is a changing culture because they inherited a culture uh, from the Red Army. They were part of the Soviet Union, uh, but in the last uh, eight years, ever since they were invaded in 2014, uh, they've been getting um, advice uh, and tutelage from U.S. special forces and other Western armies, and they are now developing uh, a different culture for their army, which is much more flexible. Uh, and much more attuned to the needs uh, of a high-paced battlefield. How would you advise them to use a couple of hundred tanks? I know you said they need probably a thousand to make a really significant change on the battlefield, but how would you advise them to engage this 150 or 200 new tanks they'll be receiving? Yeah, well, I would probably divide them up into um, uh, groups of 50 if you have 200 and create four armored or mechanized divisions and use them in uh, in one place on, on the battlefield rather than spreading them out among various units. Uh, the French did that in 1940 and got run over by the Wehrmacht. Um, it's much better to group the tanks together, uh, create armored and mechanized divisions, and then, um, and then develop a battle plan that would uh, penetrate Russian lines, encircle large number of forces, and take back ground. Um, and these two things, taking back territory and taking a lot of Russians prisoner, would uh, put pressure on Putin to come to the negotiating table. Yeah. As a military historian, do, do you recognize precedent in what's taking place in Ukraine and what may yet develop in Russia's invasion of Ukraine? And you just mentioned Putin. In, in history, do nations which invade other nations and get their noses bloodied up the ante or do they normally back away? I, I think uh, we, there's a pretty good um, uh, uh, parallel in the Russo-Finnish War back in 1939. The Russians invaded. They thought they would run over the Finns. Uh, the Finns had maybe a tenth of the population of Russia, maybe even less. Uh, but they fought. They had a much better army, more flexible, better trained, and they and they really bloodied the nose of the Red Army badly. Um, the Red Army regrouped and um, had a much more sensible follow-on campaign, stressing massive use of artillery fire. It eventually wore the Finns down, and the Finns then had to negotiate a ceasefire. I think this is what uh, Putin is hoping will happen. Uh, and the war is kind of following along these same lines, except that uh, the Russians, in regrouping and, uh, and using artillery fire and so forth in the South, really aren't having much more success than they had the first year. Uh, what are the chances of uh, this war expanding and pulling in other nations? We seem to be nibbling at the edges of that. Some have said it's a proxy war. What are you, what's, your, what's your thinking on that? Well, I don't think Putin's going to give up. You know, everyone is saying, oh, the, the Ukrainians, we need to force them to negotiate. That means uh, if you really are serious about that, it means we're, we'd be forcing them to surrender because right now the only thing that Putin will take is total victory. Um, he's not going to accept a Ukraine that isn't subservient to his will. Um, so I think that the war very likely could expand if, as Putin is not achieving his goals, uh, he may up the ante. He already upped it once with the um, strategic bombing campaign, the missile strikes against Ukraine. Uh, and he very well could uh, up the ante uh, even further as we go forward. I doubt that will include nuclear weapons just because it's a high-risk gambit on his part, but it's possible. 
If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 